Uh, are you guys ready for snow tonight? Is that, yeah? You, you'll find out. Uh, there, there are lots of things that are probably different between Keith and I. Uh, but one of the things is that I, I like winter uh, and especially like snow. And so when they call for snow, I feel like I get like this little child comes out of me that's like, yes, let's get as much as possible. Um, but I also realize we live in Lancaster, and so it will probably be mostly rain, but I'm hoping that we get a lot of snow tonight at least. Last year around this time, uh, just as cold, maybe not snowing, but just as cold, we started having some issues with our propane furnace at our house. Uh, not a great time of the year to have issues with your propane furnace. And so what, what was happening was the burner of our furnace would kick on, but then the fan would not kick on to blow the heat throughout the house. Everything would shut off before that happened. So I remember realizing one night, like, it's extra cold in here. Something must be wrong. Um, and I know absolutely nothing about furnaces. So I did in that moment what I think any self-respecting man does. Uh, proceed to walk downstairs to our furnace, take off the panel, look around like I knew what I was doing, and jiggle some wires. And it worked! The fan kicked on and started blowing air throughout the house, which was great for that moment, but not good for the long term because I convinced myself I can keep our furnace running by just jiggling wires and maybe it'll fix itself someday. Right? And so it, it would get really cold. When we woke up, it was really cold. When we came home from work, it was really cold. Uh, but I would simply go downstairs, shake a different wire, uh, and the fan would turn on, blow heat. Until one night, when I went downstairs to give their, the wires kind of their nightly jolt, and nothing happened. I'm like, okay, uh, this is surprising. Why isn't this working? Uh, and then started to shake every wire I could find, kind of touch every apparatus I could find until finally giving up in a couple minutes. And then the next morning, calling an HVAC professional. Uh, and within a week, we had a new furnace in our house. I think when things break down in our lives, we do one of two things. We either try to take care of it ourselves or we call out for help to have someone else come and take care of it or help us. We've been doing this series on transitions, not just in light of what Keystone is walking through, but in light of the fact that all of our lives are really a process of kind of change and transition, that we go through all sorts of changes and transitions, and that in the midst of those, it can either instill in us a greater dependency on God, or it can instill in us a greater dependency on ourselves. And that part of why God takes us through changes and transitions is to show us how insufficient we are and yet show us how sufficient he is for us. That, that we, in many ways, call out to God in prayer because he can do what we can't do. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Kings 3. Uh, verses 1 through 15, if you want to open up there, if you have your Bibles. Last week, we looked at the transition from Moses to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, probably the, the biggest leadership transition for Israel in the Old Testament. But the one that we're going to look at this morning is maybe a close second. Because David, who, who was one of the most well-known rulers of Israel, who's ruled as their king for the past 40 years, united them together, defeated their enemies, and secured their borders, is now dead. And 
his young and inexperienced son, Solomon, is now stepping in to take his place. And and we're picking up in chapter three after Solomon has kind of consolidated his power, gotten rid of internal threats to his kingdom, and, and now God appears to him. And we get this picture, I think, in chapter three of what it means to be prayer dependent. And so let's read starting in verse one of 1 Kings 3. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you have been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father walked, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came up to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Father, we come before you this morning as we do every Sunday, believing that you are with us, believing that you hear us, believing that you've placed your spirit in us, saved us through Christ, and yet needing over and over and over again to hear you to have you speak, to have you comfort, build up, convict, change. And so God, we pray that this morning your spirit would work, would speak for your glory and for our good as we look at this passage. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Keystone would say that one of the things that we want to mark us as a church and as a people is that we would be prayer dependent. That, that's part of also what we're doing in this series is looking at what are things that have marked us that we want to continue to mark us as a people. And I, 
I would say as we look at this passage, we can maybe find three reasons why we should be prayer dependent and then looking out one reason why we are always prayer dependent whether we realize it or not. Three, three reasons why we should be prayer dependent and one reason why we're always prayer dependent whether we realize it or not. The, the first reason would be the allurement to prayer, I'm calling it, that God is extravagantly generous that God knows we have difficulty in praying. That he knows that we at times struggle to come to him with our cares and concerns. That we wrestle with wondering, like, does he really hear us and does he really care about our lives? And that part of the reasons why passages like this, especially verse 5, are in the Bible is to attract and entice us to come before him in prayer. That one person says about this passage, God tempts us to prayer by his eager urgency to lavish good gifts upon us. I think of just as the sweet smell of soft pretzels might get in your nostrils as you walk past Annie Ann's, and so entice you to stop and buy and eat a pretzel. Passages like this where God says, come to me, ask me, pray to me, are meant to entice us to joyfully come before him again and again and again in prayer dependence. And so we should see just, I think, two things here with this. The first being that we do not lure God to listen with our merits. Solomon, I would say, is one of the more complex characters in the Bible. He defeats our sometimes simplistic and moralistic tendency to take a character of the Bible and say, be more like this person or don't be more like this person. Which is it with Solomon? Right? Like, he's got a complicated background. He's the son of David and Bathsheba. And so think about all that would conjure up for people, the deceit, the murder, the, the adultery. And yet he's God's chosen king to take David's place. He's got a complicated future. He's, he's going to write three books of the Bible that we would attribute to him. Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. And yet he's also going to lead Israel to worship idols. And I would say even in this passage, we can see he's got a complicated present. The verse 3 tells us he, he loves the Lord and he sacrifices to the Lord but he's also got pockets of disobedience or sinfulness in his life, as evidenced by verses one and two that I think are pointing out to us, that he's made this marriage alliance that God probably wouldn't condone, that he's worshiping at high places, which is almost always seen as a negative thing in first and second Kings. And so we should see God's appearing to him and saying, ask what you want is not because of Solomon's merit, but because of God's free grace to Solomon. It's so easy for us to get prayer turned inside out, I think, and to think that our prayers are somehow a way of impressing God or that that we can only pray if we think he's impressed with us. That, that That may we almost sometimes treat God like the judges on Shark Tank, where it's like, okay, we got to impress him. And if, he, if we impress him, he'll keep listening to us. And yet, over and over and over again, God breaks that down in the Bible. 
how easily we think, like, I'm not worthy to come before God because I, I've just screwed up a lot this week. I've sinned a lot today. Yeah, we are never worthy to come before God, and it's always his free grace by which he gives us his ear and says, ask, ask, ask what you want. Come to me, pray to me. The, the second thing, we don't lure God with our merits. God lures us to prayer with his incredible invitations. Like, I just can't read through this passage and not be shocked at when God appears and says to Solomon, ask what you want. Ask what I shall give you, period. It's, it's one of those phrases that I almost instinctively find myself saying, there should be a comma and a but there, right? But uh, don't, don't ask for the wrong things and so disappoint God. But don't, uh, don't ask for too much and so bother God. But, but maybe, maybe it's a trap, Solomon. Like, there's almost a sense of like, God says, ask what you want, Solomon. What, what, what's going on here? And, and, and yeah, we have to remember that like, that our God's word should shape our desires and what we ask for. And I think we see that in this case with Solomon. But it still sounds too good to be true. Ask what you want. And then we might think, well, okay, this was a unique offer to Solomon as king of Israel. And, and while maybe that's partially true, then the words of Jesus come crashing into our ears. From Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Like, I, I want to be careful here because I think it is easy for us to take words like that out of context, turn God into kind of a genie in the bottle who just grants our every desire. And, and that's not what the Bible would teach us about God. Absolutely, our prayer should be shaped by his word. Absolutely, God is God and reserves the right to say no to what we request because he knows it might not be good for us and to give us something else instead. But, but still this idea of ask, come to me, ask. Martin Luther talks about uh, Matthew 7, 7 in this way. He says, he knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. Or another person, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, God is looking upon us as our father and more ready to bless and surround us with his love than we are to receive his blessing. Another person says, God is more ready to hear us than we are to call out to him. It, just, it sounds too good to be true. Like, really? Is that really the case? Maybe this is, if you've ever met someone famous before in your life, maybe you've had like a similar feeling where there's, there's almost this like shock and awe in that moment of like, am I really meeting this person it, that, well, that I've maybe idolized or, or that is really high in my view? Am I really seeing them? And, and you, you maybe even have to like pinch yourself and be like, is this real? And your hands start to get a little sweaty and you think, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask? This feels too good to be true that I would actually be seeing them or, or talking to them. That is the same sense we should get when we pray. 
to think about what an incredible privilege it is that God who is majestic, infinite, sovereign Lord of heaven and earth says, ask me, ask me, come to me, pray to me, ask me. And it's that we, we so often forget, I so often forget what an incredible privilege it is to have God's ear. And I think that's part of why it's good for us to spend time just worshiping in prayers or even to start praying by worshiping because in some sense we're pinching ourselves in that moment and saying, this is who I'm talking to. This is the God who I have his ear, the the one who can change anything, who can do all things. This is the God who's telling me, come, pray to me, ask, seek, find. We can do this. Like we can simply heed God's generous invitation to come before him and to know that he is a extravagantly generous God and to ask to call out to him. That's why part of why we should be prayer dependent. The, the second reason I would say why we should be prayer dependent is the necessity of prayer, that we are desperately dependent all the time, whether we realize it or not. Solomon prays for wisdom and discernment and the ability to govern the people of Israel. And, and we get a picture in verses seven and eight of, of why is he praying for that? Because he knows he is insufficient for the task at hand. Just listen back over his words. I, I'm but a little child. God, I'm too young for this. I, I don't know how to go out or come in. God, I'm inexperienced as a leader. God, God, you put me as your servant in the midst of your people, this great people. God, I'm, I'm in over my head. This is too much for me. God or, or Solomon knows what I think every Christian realizes sooner or later in their lives we are insufficient for what God calls us to do. We're insufficient for what God calls us to do. And and I want us to just stop and think about this in the area of roles and seasons and obedience in our lives. First of all, roles. Uh, God is not calling you or I to be the king of Israel. Thank goodness, because we'd make terrible kings. But he is calling us to roles that are no less significant that we desperately need his help if we want to carry out well. Just think about, do do you want to be a godly friend, student, husband, father, wife, mother, co-worker, neighbor, construction worker, truck driver, business owner? Do, Do you want to reflect Christ and be an ambassador for him? Do you want your words, my words, to build other people up and not tear them down? to have our lives impact other people, be a disciple who makes disciple. If you do, we no less need God's help to carry out those things. To say to him, God, help me, give me wisdom, guide me, because I cannot do these things on my own. They're too much for me if I want to do them well and as you've called me to do. Or we can think about seasons, that God is not calling you or I to replace your father as king but he does take us through all sorts of seasons to remind us just how insufficient we are. Have you, have you ever noticed in life, I think this is true, I've seen it to be true in my own life, that just as you feel like you're starting to kind of figure out life and things are going smoothly, God almost starts to pull the rug out from underneath. Like just as you figure out middle school, now it's time to go into high school. Just as you figure out college, now it's time to enter the workforce. Just as you figure out how to parent toddlers, 
Now it's time to parent preschoolers or teenagers. Just as you figure out your job, everything kind of switches on you. Why is that? Because part of why God takes us through changes and transitions in our lives is to keep us from simply becoming comfortable and thinking, I've got it all figured out, and to instead remind us how much we need him. Or we could just think even in terms of obedience. God's not calling us to obey by building a temple because he's already made us temples in Christ. But he calls us to obedience day after day after day, to obey what he's commanded in his word, to obey him by denying ourselves and following Christ, to produce fruit with our lives. Do we think, do I think, that I can produce even an ounce of fruit apart from God's grace at work in and through me? Do we think we can do even the smallest act of obedience apart from God's help and his grace? Because if I do, I'm fooling myself and not realizing how absolutely necessary God's help is and his grace is in my life. I think about the older that I've gotten, the more that I've come to see sleep as both important and precious in my life. Like as a kid, I didn't think sleep was important. You were probably a similar way. Bedtime was to be dreaded. I don't want to go to bed. I want to stay up all night. As an adult, like bedtime is to be looked forward to. I get to go to sleep now. This is great. As a kid, if you told me uh, you can stay up all night, I would have rejoiced. As an adult, if you told me you're, you, you're not going to get any sleep tonight, like I'd probably start to cry. You, you probably have this, as you get older, you realize, man, sleep is precious. I need it to function. I need it for my well-being. And the same thing should be true of us for Christians with prayer. That the longer we live as Christians, prayer doesn't become less important as if we've got it all figured out, but we realize just how dependent and necessary God's help is in our lives, just how much we need him. Because the other reality for us is that we grow spiritually by becoming more dependent on God. This is where Solomon's words in verse 7, I'm but a little child, echo down the hallways of history and, and meet Jesus' words in Matthew 18, 3 through 4, where he says, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Just think about how counterintuitive is that to us? Think about growing up, maturing physically or as a person. You grow in independence, right? You start out completely dependent as a child on your parents, and then you grow by becoming more and more and more independent. And God's saying, it's the exact opposite with me that we grow by becoming more and more and more like children, more and more dependent on him, more and more seeing how necessary his help is in our lives. We can track Solomon's life if we would keep reading and see how this plays out in the wrong way. That Solomon starts out by being very dependent on God and then he gains wealth and power and over time starts to see his need for God less and less and eventually leads the Israelites to worship idols. And we might think, why would you do that? Solomon, what were you thinking? How could you do that? And miss that the same desire that led Solomon away from God still rages in us today, I think. 
the desire that we might one day be self-sufficient, not so needy, and just get to a place in our lives where we can kind of coast the rest of the way. As a, as a teenager, I tended to push the limits uh, on how much gas was in my car after my gas light came on. I still do this to this day, so I can't just say it was as a teenager. And I think everyone is either kind of, you're either a person who uh, you fill up with gas before that light even comes on, or the light comes on and you think, I've got 70 more miles to go. This is like free gas right now. I've got to use this up. I'm that type of person. Uh, and it's burned me once. I got stuck alongside Route 30. But one time, I just got really close. Uh, I was leaving my parents' house. We lived along Strasburg Road outside of Parksburg. And I knew it was going to be close, but I knew if I could just make it five miles, uh, there's a turkey hill at the end of Strasburg Road. There I could fill up with gas. And so I start out, and I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. I get about four and a half miles in, and my car starts to, like, lurch a little bit. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it's that moment where you can tell, like, I'm running on fumes. My car really needs gas. And so I, I was going downhill at this moment, but I knew there's another uphill. And if I can just make it over that uphill, I can throw it into neutral and coast down into Turkey Hill. And so I'm going down this hill, trying to pick up speed. I, I start the uphill, and my car's still kind of lurching. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make this. A and I get to the top of the hill, have enough speed, throw it into neutral, uh, coast down in, and coast into Turkey Hill at one of the pumps as my car like, sputters to a stop. I'm, I'm probably exaggerating that a little bit, but that's how I remember it, at least. And I think about, don't we all in some way have this desire that we can get to a place in our life where we can throw it in neutral and just coast downhill? Where I don't need to be so helpless, so needy, so dependent, and, and in some way saying, where I don't need God so desperately. Sooner or later, don't we all have that desire of, if I could just get to whatever place it is in my life, I think that is, and just coast from there on down. Like, if God brings hills into our lives that we can't possibly get over on our own, that's a really good thing because he's reminding us how desperately we need him. If he brings changes and transitions into our lives that make the road rough and bumpy where it used to be smooth, that's a really good thing because he's, it's a grace he's using to lead us to depend on him more. If God calls you or I to do something that feels like we're jumping into the deep end and I don't know if I can swim out there, it's a good thing because that's where God teaches us just how insufficient we are and how absolutely sufficient he is. Part of why God takes us through all sorts of changes and transitions is to remind us over and over again just how dependent and needy we are on him. And I think man, prayer is simply recognizing that need and calling out to him, that, that we can do that, that God doesn't expect us to go throughout life on our own strength, but to recognize our need, to call out to him, and then to see him helping us and respond with praise. That, that's the... the third reason of why should we be prayer dependent? The, the outcome of prayer, that we find, we receive the help and God receives the glory. We can look at verses 10 through 14 and see God answering Solomon's prayer and see he's pleased with Solomon because of what he prayed, but then even answering a request Solomon didn't make. And 
we're not going to get too much into the details of it because I just want us to see the contour of it and to see Solomon prayed, called out for help, and God heard and answered his prayer. Because sometimes we forget this simple fact. God really does hear and answer our prayers. And if that's not true, prayer dependence is simply a mirage. If, the, if I call out and there's no one on the end of the other line, prayer dependence is pointless. It's just a nice thing we say we do. Like, no, God doesn't answer every prayer we have in the way we want it. And sometimes he gives us what we don't ask for, gives us more than what we ask for because he reserves the right to be God and to do what's best for us. But, but if God doesn't answer prayers, then Prayer is just this ritual we do over and over and over again. I, I need to be reminded of this because I think it's all too easy in a 21st century world to pray for things and then to even chalk the outcome up to coincidence. That, that would have happened anyway. But that's not the ultimate reality the Bible presents us with. The Bible presents us with a reality where things happen because God does them and often he does them in response to the prayers of his people. That's the reality the Bible wants us to live under. And one of the areas that we probably have to grow in as 21st century Christians is really believing God really does answer prayers because his hand is in everything and things happen because he does them. And as we grow in that area, I think it could have two effects. First, that answered prayer could or should cultivate in us a greater faith. That as we call out to help, we see God helping us. It might imprint in our heads and our hearts. He can be trusted. He is faithful. I don't just know that in my head, but I've seen that in my life. And so I can keep going to him again and again and again. Where, where prayer slowly becomes a first response in our lives rather than maybe a last resort. Several years ago, I, I took a team of students down to Costa Rica, and it was our second time there. And on one of the days, we were going to be mixing concrete uh, and laying it down for a concrete floor at the church. And the first time we were there, we had to do this all by hand. It was a long day. But the second time, this time, they had rented a concrete mixer. It's like, yes, this is great. Uh, except we turned it on and it immediately shut down. I was thinking, my back's already starting to hurt. Like, this is not good. Can we get another one? Does anyone know how to fix it? Uh, has anyone tried jiggling the wires yet? Maybe that'll work. Right? And one of our global partners, Andy Gordley, stopped our group and said, well, why don't we just pray for the cement mixer? Uh, yeah, I get, yeah, well, let's pray for the cement mixer, I guess. I don't know. That sounds like a Christian thing to do, so let's do it. And we stop, and he leads us in this short prayer. And moments later, the cement mixer starts back up. I think, man, why, why was that his first response? Probably because over his life, he's simply called out to God, seen God help, and it's become more and more, yeah, this is what we do. That as we... <laughs> also call to God, ask for help, see him respond, offering help, that it might become more and more simply our response and how we live. And, and then with that, that answered prayer should cultivate in us a greater worship of God. 
Notice in, in verse 15 how Solomon responds to God's answer in prayer by leading Israel in this celebration, offering more sacrifices, having a feast. Like, God answered our prayers. This is awesome. And we could track even farther down and see how this answer to prayer then affects someone outside of Israel. Because in 1 Kings 10, the queen of Sheba shows up to Israel to see Solomon's wisdom and see his kingdom. And after she's seen it all, here's her response. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. God is great because he's done this for you, Solomon. Solomon prayed, received the help, and God received the glory. This past week, we, we had our staff meeting uh, once a month. Dr. Brandon, something he often leads us to do in to ask and answer this question. What has God done for us as a church in 2021? And then we got the chance to simply respond and celebrate what's God done in providing for us and answering prayers. Things like new members to new baptisms. Things like God's grace in suffering to God's provision through the generosity of his people. Things like opening Kids Hour 2 and opening Keystone Institute. Things like new care groups and new staff members. Thanksgiving Eve service, Advent blocks, worship nights, VBS, men's brotherhood, women's flourish, and all sorts of other things. And then we just got to spend time saying, God, you're awesome. You're great. Look at what you've done. And I would say, we can all do that. We can all do that. You, you don't have to be on staff at a church to do that. We can all do that. We can sit down and think by ourselves or with our family or a care group and ask that question, what has God done for us in 2021? And then to just spend time praising him and thanking him. Or even shorten it up. And what has God done in the last month or week or day that we can then spend time God saying, God, you're awesome. You're great. Thank you for hearing us and helping us and being our gracious God who takes care of us. Prayer is simpler than we make it at times, I would say. That we have an extravagantly generous God who we desperately need to help us. And as we call out to him, we receive help and respond with gratitude and praise. And we can do that over and over and over again and become more prayer dependent. But there's a problem with that. Probably everyone instinctively knows I don't pray like I should. Like, I wonder if you've felt that in the past just 35 minutes as we've been talking about this. Like, yeah, that sounds great, Kyle, but that, that's not what my life looks like. Because I felt that this week, even as I was preparing to preach. That, that we almost instinctively know when we talk about prayer, oh, but I don't pray like I should. And, and the wonder of prayer is that even in our prayerlessness at times, we are still dependent on the prayers of another. Because Hebrews 7.25 tells us what is Jesus doing for us right now? Right in this moment, right here, right now. That, that we know what he's done in the past. Lived, died, raised for us, ascended. We know what he's doing in the future. Coming back to make all things new and reign 
what is our high priest, our king, doing now? And Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That Jesus is interceding for us forever pleading our innocence before God, forever being the source of all his grace and favor in our lives. And and so the reason we can look confidently out at life and and know that our transitions and changes ultimately will work out is because of God's grip on our lives secured through Christ and his continual intercession for us. Like if the outcome of our lives or our changes and transitions depended on our prayers, we'd probably be hopeless. But they depend on God's grip on us in Christ. And we know that even now he's interceding for us. I I get this picture of like a father who's throwing his son or daughter up in the air. And you've seen this before. The the child's kind of screaming for delight. And, And as the child falls back down towards the ground, how does that child know that he or she's not gonna hit the ground? because he or she can grasp onto dad so tightly on the way down and hold on? No, because that dad can grasp on and have a firm grip and hold on and keep that child tight. And I think, what, what gives us confidence? What, what even gives us confidence to pray to God and know that he hears us because God's got his grip on us in Christ and even right now, Jesus is interceding for us. I love what Dane Ortland says about this verse in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He's just bluntly honest. Our prayer life stinks most of the time. But what if you heard Jesus praying aloud for you in the next room? Few things would calm us more deeply. And might not that vision too of Christ praying for us right now catapult us back into prayer dependence? saying, I've got a God who grips tightly to me through everything. Therefore, I can flailingly grasp for him in prayer and know that he'll hold me fast, that he hears my prayers, and that he answers my prayers. Let's pray. Father, we worship you because you are a gracious God. We worship you because, again, right now you hear us, as we go throughout our week this week and call out to you for help in everything that comes our way, you hear us, you love us, you answer us. And even when we fail, we can look and see that there is another who's pleading for us, praying for us. And God, we praise you for that. We pray that you would make us more prayer-dependent people, that prayer would be our first response rather than our last resort and that we would then see you helping us and give you all the glory. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.